Welcome to Writers Radio. I'm Ingrid Rose, your host for this program, Something Ferried Across. Two poets, Susan McCaslin and Ted Blodgett. Susan talks with me about her poetry and spiritual evolution, supported by the generative conversations she had with one of her mentors and friend, Ted Blodgett, who died in 2018. Susan reads some of her poetry and poems that Ted wrote during the last year of his life. One thing that came to me as I was reading the article you sent is that you really are a generous poet, (laughs) probably a generous person too, being a teacher and a mentor to younger poets. But you too have been mentored, both by the living and the dead. (laughs) You openly acknowledge it. And I think I was also using generous in terms of generating work, Mm. because you're a prolific writer. A lot of the poets that you've probably read many more than I know about, but the ones that really stood out for me and you seem to highlight are mystics. Exactly. I've been in, I came to the mystics quite early in life. I found myself, and I think it's something that we're often confronted with is, what do we mean by spiritual? I think in grade seven, my English teacher, who was also my Spanish teacher, I showed him a poem I wrote about a cat, and he didn't think I had written it. After I talked to him that I had written it, because he thought it was excellent, he appointed me a literary editor of the student newspaper. I was an introvert, so I didn't work on a team. I just chose poems, put them in a little column, and published a few of my own. But from that moment on, I felt I had a calling to the poetry path. And then, as you said, I had many mentors, like Robin Blazer, for instance, who was, I guess you could call spiritual but not religious. He had a Catholic background. Uh, I guess what happened was in university, as an undergraduate, I had a Christian background. I was from a, a, I guess you would call it something like the United Church, but in the States, it was a, a liberal Presbyterian church. And I was very pious as a child. I, I loved Jesus and so on. So that's deep in me. But as I got to university, I started to, I became a Vietnam protester. I took courses in Tibetan Buddhism, Japanese poetry, comparative literature courses. And I, I stopped going to church and I became it may be a, a cliched phrase, but spiritual, but not religious. And at the last year in university, I got really interested in William Blake. And he became the first poet that introduced me to an idea that he could he could talk about Jesus, but in a, such a broader context. And he linked me to Burma and uh, Swedenborg. And, and uh, I just went from there to Teresa of Avila, Julian of Norwich, the mystics of of the West. And then I got interested in Sufism and Tibetan Buddhism, read the Book of the Dead, you know. And so I got to that point where I I would call it evolution, where you you don't want theology in a box. You don't want to be part of a one religion that has had a history of colonization and 
putting people, um, controlling people. I can go into a place and feel the holiness. I, I don't mind the God word. Some people immediately hear patriarchal, anthropomorphized figure outside the earth, out in the cosmos who created things and controls things and punishes people and all that. And Ted's back to Ted. Can I just interrupt you? Ted Blodgett, a huge mentor for you. You sent me something you had written and where you had said that when he was in hospice, so he died in 2018, there was a group of you that he would send poetry to that he was writing, and he referred to you playfully as the Cosmic Kids. Yeah, actually, I looked it up again. It was the Cosmos Kids. Oh, the Cosmos Kids. <laughs> but he was always connecting earth, flesh, the body, birds, trees, stones, water, music. Uh, silence and with his poetry and it's very he would receive the poems sometimes he'd send three a day of these little compressed three-line ringas um they a ringa is a collaborative form but he these last poems he just wrote them himself but he would each day his wife Irina would say that he would at night or during the day the lines would just flow in, and then he would craft them on his computer. And when that got too hard because he had melanoma and he, he was in the hospice and think he, it was more difficult, he still managed to dictate them and so on. And then he would send them to us. I don't know who the other Cosmos kids are because it was hidden and you couldn't see them. I'm going to ask Yorana who they were. I have some suspicions. But... I would give him feedback, and then we also had private feedback through, and he would give me feedback on my poems and greatly encouraged me because we had so many similarities, the, the mystical tradition, the desire to unify the almost galactic, universal, like galaxies that we can't even see anymore because they're dead by the time that we see the image from them and spiraling forms in, in nature. Basically, he could see the same principles that work in the my, most minute things in the earth, but also in the cosmos. So he, he came to the conclusion, as I did, that everything is interconnected. And we ourselves are part of what he called God or spirit or whatever. It's almost not important what the name is, because in his volume of poetry that I edited, sometimes... God would be befuddled, he'd be a woman, God would be a Sufi, or he'd be talking to Buddha. So I think if people look at the title, Walking Into God, and they come with this baggage, oh no, uh, you know, transcendent, punishing figure, they're going to miss the opportunities to see what Ted was really about. And he translated Rumi. Mm. He has a whole book of translations of Rumi, and he thinks of of. God as present in, in himself, in Irina, in birds, in trees, and it's all part of the unity. And even sometimes, well, God is not always omnipotent. God gets confused. God doesn't remember how he created stuff and would rather be a hummingbird. You know, it, it's, it's funny. There's humor, there's depth, there's uh, surprise in those poems. So, And because they were so short, what I want to get back to is that during the time in the hospice, when Ted 
was dying and he knew he was dying. Every time he would get into this poetic process, he totally transcended his pain. And he was in another world and he was just so happy and flowing and, and everything. And he, he, he was in joy, a state of joy. It's quite remarkable that, that he could be so into a, another state of consciousness mm. that almost is a liminal place, you know, between time and eternity. During this reading, I'll be pairing five poems by E.D. Blodgett, better known as Ted, who lived uh, between 1935 and 2018, along with five poems of my own. Ted's poems are drawn from a manuscript entitled Walking into God, written during the last year of his life, and which I edited after his death. The volume is slated for publication through Fairleigh Dickinson University Press. I'm going to begin with selections from Ted's Walking Into God. Walking into God is if one walked into a tree. Even if we walk so, how can we see him walking through air, lambent and invisible air? Here, reason fails, and to walk into God is to walk through stars. A slow walk, as into music where no one touches the ground, not knowing where God is, but moving how music falls through us as if we were falling with the rain. If the garden has a mind, it is a hummingbird, but one so swift is rarely seen, the mind invisible of all the garden it contains. And there, God must find his way, groping through the dark, only a flash of a passing bird. But one surge of breath from her swift passing, and all the shadows begin to rise up, filling darkness with other birds, each entering the mind of God, to be the cosmos he now must bear in fear and awe of what the bird might be. Idly lying beside a small stream, God dips her small hands into the cool water, a smile forming in her eyes. How much of this simply flows through her? How much is her? The bright stones, the shimmer of the surface. Trees bend over her to touch first and then bless this holiness, gladly at rest, praying for the world. Nothing sings like she sings, her mouth full of stars, rising one by one in the jubilant voice where the sun rests. God, 
took Buddha by the hand, and walking together, they stepped into a nearby forest, and in the darkness were unable to tell who was who, God or Buddha. Both picked up a small stone that was their shared nirvana. Both knew on the spot, now they were merely breath, and all the air around them blew slowly through them both, emptier than all space, but breathing everywhere. What is this God that I am always speaking about so boldly? And more, where does the voice come from that I claim to hear? It is the silence all around me coming out of my flesh. Yes, my flesh, where all my secrets remain nearest to me. Secret flesh, holy flesh, flesh waiting in silence. For you too, Susan, liminal places exist out in nature and sometimes require poetic intervention. Almost a decade ago, you helped save an endangered rainforest in Glen Valley, Langley, B.C. My husband is an environmental lawyer, retired now, but he's still helping indigenous groups and various groups like eco-justice and so on on giving people advice, and he taught at UVic in the Environmental Law Center and mentored students, and they come to him for advice. So he and I joined hands because he knew about the how to get reports from specialists in the area about the kind of possibly at-risk species or endangered species might be in there, and he did all that. And I, I contributed the poetry piece, which was to collect Poems from it ended up originally more locally, and then it got out to all these poetry organizations, and some of them even sent my query to Turkey and places like that. And we had hundreds of poems strung up in the trees. And what's interesting about this is the connection with spirituality and being active in the world. You know, so often it seems the opposite. You know, you can't be spiritual and political. Yeah, well, you know that where I got that was from Thomas Merton. Even though he was, um, I had, I'm a Merton scholar, and I I'm not Catholic, but I I've written a book on Merton in collaboration with J. S. Porter, a poet, and it's a, a work of creative nonfiction and some academic essays and poetry and icon po- icon poetry in the shape of various forms. And I guess one of the things that Merton, even though he was a not out in the world the way the feminist Rosemary Ruther was that he corresponded with at the end of his life, like marching and things. But he was pu- publishing everywhere. And even when they silenced him, he got his thoughts out about Vietnam and Latin America and uh, nature and everything in underground letters. He always talked about the union of art and activism. And even... Jesus was a kind of activist, and I see him more as a a wisdom teacher um, using paradox, almost like little Zen koans in his his little sayings and his uh, parables. But 
uh, I have investigated a lot about the Jesus scholars and what might be historical about him and what isn't. And we all have these constructs. And sometimes we have to look at them carefully. But I still honor Jesus just as Leonard Cohen would honor his Jewish tradition. What you're underlining is that poetry can be political. Oh, that, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not just something that you read in a book. Yeah, and it's not just about elsewhere. It's about here and now yes. and about being in time and about being in the flow of time and doing what you can through the creative imagination, often as in the case with Ted, through your art. In Ukraine now, you'd be surprised how many Ukrainian poets there are. I have a friend named Dave Bridges who's organizing a possibility of a meeting up with Ukrainian poets next fall and, and touring and giving readings. And so many of them are on board and through all the bombing, they're, they're not saying, oh, art's irrelevant. It's, it's crucial to their democracy and their idea of freedom. Hildegard's Song Hildegard sings, God is life. Raising the ancient breath word from its deep time I amness and patriarchal shadows, to say, life is, is to ground into green her word, veriditas, wound and found in fluorescent sheen of moss-covered logs, asleep with dying cedars, Inscripted in unfurling ferns, viridescent lime lichen, aurora borealis light. In Hildegard's love song, egoology becomes ecology, a verdant housekeeping, union of science, spirituality, art, retying all to all where every creature matters. And to return to the garden is primal evolution. A movement through wheeling mandalas where we are dust dancing, sparks barking. Artwork. Praise to the bivalved flesh wrapped organ, the heart. Heart arc, site of heart work, channeling nourishment. Flesh's crannies. Love's courteous courier, humble sage. My dog trots beside me along the Fraser, her animal heart and mine in sync. We are small valentines within a vastness. Why does poetry raise a rhythm in the heart? How is it Cupid shoots darts heartward, not for cupidity's sake? but through the greater longing. Why do hermits pra practice hesychasm, prayer of the heart, where the mind descends? It's then lungs fill, tongues chant, feet fly unthinkingly 
to valleys of tears where we, bearing our hearts and hands along with food, hope, kindness, root, sleep, soar, where the arts are heart arts, pure acts of the educated heart. And this one is from an unpublished manuscript titled Field Play. Clasping hands. Neurons clasp hands in the dark. Each similar, unique linkage, a burst of clarion fire from an inner gestalt, where lines are thresholds, and from these, each handshake an aphorism, each aphorism a quantum leap to shared stories mending flow. Epics plunge in lucid dark, no exclusion, no boundaries, where truth is metaphor, something varied across. Spiral Dynamics Some pause from twittering, tweeting on machines, succumb to song of the hermit thrush, matchless virtuoso, spinning silken bridges in octaves that spiral beyond our auditory range. Notes so fleet and strange, hearts bow in matters, mysterium. I'm going to finish with an unpublished poem from a manuscript titled Consider. This poem won first place in the Federation of BC Writers Literary Contest uh, for 2022. Consider the Western Red Cedar, aromatherapist out of whose inner bark Wantland crafters wove ceremonial capes, canoes. Alkamelam, language, drifting in boughs and bowers through her beautiful brain, wrapping round its syllables, chanting. Fungi interfacing nourishment to saplings, stretching north, south, east, west. Arched boughs swooping earthward, then rising. Sun gatherers. Her elderdom intuits our hands pressed gently against her lichened layers, inviting us to join the round and round antics of gray squirrels. Ours, three score and ten, a mere dewdrop against her old-growth blades, the secret gift of her attention and ours, leaning together in this zero-and-everything zone. You've been listening to Something Ferried Across, featuring the poetry of Susan McCaslin and Ted Blodgett. Read by Susan after she talked with me about the influence of her early spiritual evolution and her friendship with Ted, who died in 2018. I'm Ingrid Rose. A pleasure to have been your host for this edition of Writers Radio. My appreciation goes to my co-producers and co-hosts, 
Carol Harmon, and Gary Sill. Gary is our technical whiz and the composer of the remarkable music we get to hear throughout the program. Appreciation also for you, our listeners. Thank you. You have been listening to Writers Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays, and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Writers Radio broadcasts from Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast in Canada. Traditional tribal land of the Shishal Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. We express our gratitude for their wisdom teachings and land stewardship. Thank you.